It's my uh, pleasure to read the scripture reading today from Matthew 5, verses 3 through 16. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are all Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, this morning, I, I want to start off by reminding you something I'm sure you already know. Um, in the world of especially sports betting, there's a thing called a trifecta. You've heard of that before, three in a row. There's also frequently in the sports world a thing called the triple crown. So when you think of horse racing, for instance, that's the first thing that comes to mind, the triple crown. So... How many of you can say what the triple crown is? The first one is Kentucky Derby. Second one, Preakness. Third one, Belmont Stakes. Yes, you're doing pretty well. You had to share, help each other out, but you got it. How about the triple crown in golf? What do you think that is? The Masters? U.S. Open? The British Open. You nailed it, dude. All three. Now, if you want to do the Grand Slam, then you would do the PGA at the end. But the point is, there's all these standards, and frequently you hear the, the words triple crown associated with a big deal. So here's the lead-in. I'm not just talking about sports. It's, it's an image. What do you think the triple crown of the New Testament is? I, I've never heard it designated as such, but if you were going to pick three items from the New Testament? What would you call the triple crown of the New Testament? I'll tell you what I would call the triple crown of the New Testament. I would call it the Lord's Prayer, 1 Corinthians 13, passage on love, and the Beatitudes. That'd be my triple crown. Now, if you want to know what the triple crown in the whole Bible is, you probably have to include Psalm 23, right? Because everybody knows that. But today we're going to focus on one part of my triple crown, which is the Beatitudes. And the focus of the Beatitudes this morning is going to be about the kingdom of God. Here's what happens in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes acknowledge right up front two kingdoms. 
It doesn't say it in so many words, but that's what it acknowledges. There is the kingdom of God, and there is the kingdom of the world. That's the first thing. Second thing the Beatitudes do is that they invite us to participate in both kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. The third thing the Beatitudes do is they give us a manual, a manual for how to live in two kingdoms, a manual for the kingdom of God in this present world. Jesus was very bold about his announcement concerning the kingdom. We know that he announced the kingdom at the beginning of his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, you may remember the occasion where Jesus went back to his home region and he was invited to read the scripture, a high honor, and when he stood up, he read the passage, was unrolled from Isaiah, said, I've come to preach good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to release the captive, to announce the year of the Lord. And Jesus said, all of this is about me. Well, he didn't say it quite that way. What he said is, what you have just heard is now in front of you. The kingdom is here. I'm announcing it. I have come to do these things. He was very bold. You know one of the reasons that Jesus was so bold? It's because people are anticipating the kingdom. So anybody who was living in first century Palestine who was Jewish in their heritage would constantly have been asking the question, where's the kingdom of God? When's the kingdom coming? And we might not go outside and walk down the street and expect that everybody's asking that question, but Jesus could assume that. Everybody was asking that question. Where's the kingdom of God? And Jesus walked into the crowd and said, it's right here. Walk with me. You'll experience the kingdom of God. And then the Beatitudes. The manual for experiencing the kingdom of God. So let me be a little bit snarky for a moment with the Bible. Okay? Here's what I want to say. The poor are not blessed. When's the last time you heard that? What you hear is blessings to those who have a lot and get more. The poor are blessed. Second thing, the meek don't inherit the earth. Seriously, they don't. It's the arrogant, the ruthless, the powerful, the people I grew up around at a distance in South Florida, where the Gold Coast was owned by the rich and the famous, and they built new condominiums every year. That's who was inheriting the earth. And those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. 
sorry for my cynicism, but those are not the people who get filled up in this world. It's the people who are rich. It's the people who can get anything they want. They get filled up. And the merciful, they will receive mercy. No. The ones that get mercy are those who fight for themselves, who go to court, crush their opponents, who get off the hook because they're wealthy and powerful and influential. Those are the ones that get mercy. It's always been that way, not just today. So when I hear these words, I have to wonder, is that what was going through their mind? Maybe they were thinking to themselves, the peacemakers are the blessed ones. It's not my experience. My experience is those who are vengeful and have an enemy's list and who strike back harder than their enemies. Those are the ones living the good life. See, the invitation to enter the kingdom of God, which is part of the Beatitudes, is this. Enter a perspective that is a world upside down. Step with me into a reality that doesn't make any sense according to your senses. When you look around, you don't see it. You see everything else. Step into that kingdom with me and follow me. And first, you'll begin to understand it. And second, you will inherit it. Because the upside-down world I'm asking you to enter into is a world where appearance, worldly appearance, is just an illusion. There's something else behind it. So how can this be possible? How is it possible to enter this world, to follow this manual of the Beatitudes, to experience the kingdom of God, to see things differently, to realize that if you're poor in spirit, you're the blessed one. If you're a peacemaker, you're the blessed one. How do you get there? First, you have to accept an alternate universe. You have to actually believe that there's an alternate reality all around you. One that's invisible. One where all the blessings are not achieved in the moment or even in your lifetime. You have to enter a parallel kingdom and an alternate reality. You have to believe that what you see is not all there is to reality. And when you do, you're in a dangerous position. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying we've got to do it. But when we do it, there's a huge danger. What's the danger? Among other things, we're only one step away 
from reinterpreting reality in the most bizarre fashion. We're one step away from denying scientific facts and the facts of history because we know better. We live in an alternate reality. And we're one step away from embracing in a wholesale manner outrageous conspiracy theories. We're right on the edge of it. You see, my friends, truth is a razor's edge. And if you're not careful on a razor's edge, you're going to fall from one side or the other. And it's easy to fall into that crazy, bizarre reality. A bizarre reality that I've heard named that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. A bizarre reality that the principalities and powers that Paul speaks of in his epistles, which I absolutely believe in, become our own form of conspiracy theory. There is the possibility of losing our balance when we enter into this legitimate, invisible kingdom of God. In order for this to work, we have to accept the invisible kingdom of God and not be led around by other forces, but led around only by the kingdom of God. And in order to do that, we must understand that the rewards spoken of in this passage are not necessarily our experience of reality yesterday, today, or tomorrow. We don't always experience the blessings of God that it seems like the Beatitudes are saying will be there. It's because we're living in this present world. And the only way to live in this present world, in this contemporary reality, while simultaneously experiencing a parallel kingdom, a parallel reality, is to keep your eyes on eternity. Listen how many times in the Beatitudes and in the teachings of Jesus, Jesus in effect says, you won't understand this unless you bring in this notion of eternity. Blessed are you because you will be rewarded, not necessarily here and now, but in eternity. You must believe in order for this to work that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. And you must believe that chasing after materialism and power and fame will leave you empty. You must also believe that to enter into this world, this reality, this parallel kingdom, means that you must function with humility. You don't enter into the parallel reality and function arrogantly like you know more than the rest of the people in the world. You enter this reality and you function with humility knowing full well, knowing full well that all the rewards that you hope for will not be experienced and you'll look foolish in the eyes of the world.
You know what we do? We vacillate between arrogance and shame. And neither of those are places for the kingdom of God. The place for the citizens of the kingdom of God is to live humbly according to the mandates of Jesus and experience the reality that he promises will be here now and he promises will be completely fulfilled in the future. And that takes patience and humility. What's the nature of this invitation? Well, It's not to be a zealot like Peter and some of the other disciples were. It's not to enter a parallel kingdom and try to overthrow a current one. It's not to walk with Jesus and then proclaim that you're going to overthrow the government. Look, my friends, there was every reason in the world for the followers of Jesus Christ to do their best to overthrow the Roman government. It was a bunch of senators parading around in robes inside their sanctuary, making laws without any respect for humanity. They cared not a whit about the common man. And Jesus said, Storm the steps of the Senate, right? No, he did not. He never told his followers to take down any government. As a matter of fact, if his followers had stormed the Senate, he might have pulled out the whip and instead of using it on the money changers, he would have used it on them. Jesus said, my kingdom is a peaceable kingdom. And when Peter tried to stop him from going to the cross, what was his response? Oh, my friend Peter, don't be so harsh. His words, just be be honest, they weren't kind at all. When Jesus was told by Peter, I'm going to stop you from going to the cross, Jesus turned around to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's all he said. He didn't lead in easy. He didn't, under, he didn't tell him, I understand your heart, but you don't understand reality. He just said, shut up already. That's not me. And when Peter pulled out his sword in the garden to protect Jesus, Jesus said, put it back in its sheath because the people who draw the sword are going to die by the sword. That's not my kingdom. To live in an alternate reality does not mean we take on the principalities and powers. I've mentioned it before, but since I'm here, let me repeat it one more time. There is absolutely nothing in the words or in the teachings of Jesus that call his followers to assert their individual rights. Nothing. In the teachings of Jesus and all the way back to the Old Testament, individual rights are not the doctrine. You know what the doctrine is? Individual responsibility. And you know who is often addressed when it comes to living up to your responsibility? It's those who are wealthy. 
Don't oppress the poor. It's those who are powerful. Don't oppress those who are lowly. It's those who have everything. The judges who could be corrupt. Don't be corrupt. You've got the power. You have responsibility. And your responsibility is to live in justice. You might say, well, I see individual rights there. Well, so do I. The poor shouldn't be oppressed. But who is addressed? The poor? To take up arms? The disenfranchised? To overthrow? No. The power brokers. Those are the ones addressed. So what are Christ followers actually called to do then? Well, first they're called to worship God and God alone. I think the chief sin of the Old Testament, perhaps the chief sin of the human condition, is idolatry. It's to hold up something as God that is not. Perhaps it's to hold up an idea. Or perhaps it's to hold up a person. We're often asking ourselves, what is our, our idol? We're instructed to follow God and God alone and to never fly the flag of another. We're instructed as kingdom Christ followers to love our neighbors. And as you remember from the Story of the Good Samaritan, when asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus basically said, everybody. All humanity. Furthermore, we're called to love our enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. That's an alternate reality. We're also called to care for the earth. Some of you know my recent interest in creation care. And I understand some of you don't like it. But I'm committed to it, and you know why? Because the first commandment in the Bible is to care for creation. Multiply, bless the earth, and be the gardeners of God's garden. Instead of focusing on being a consumer, focus on being a caretaker. I'm not going to go on and on about that, but that's a change in my thinking. I wasn't always there. What else are we called to do as followers of Christ? We're called to wait patiently and humbly. We're called to remember that the kingdom promises are incomplete. They're not completely fulfilled right now, nor should they be. The alternative to this instruction 
is the prosperity gospel which preaches that all of it can be fully experienced now. Except, of course, for that little thing called eternal life. The real gospel tells us a different story. To trust and to wait. The other gospel is no gospel at all. We're called to wait patiently, and that means we live in the in-between. We exist faithfully in the already, not yet, anticipating the culmination that will come. And finally, as we wait, we rejoice. Sometimes when we're done singing, whether the band or just even a solo, I think to myself, what's left to be said? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, as the hymn said that we sang with the band, we're supposed to rejoice that the Lord is King. Your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks, and praise forevermore. We're supposed to lift up our hearts. Lift up your voice. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. First century Christians understood this better than we do. And the churches I visited in Africa understand it better than we do. The reality that's all around us doesn't seem like the kingdom of God. And right in the face of it, we rejoice. We dance, we celebrate because the kingdom of God is among us. We dance and we celebrate because the kingdom of God is coming. That's what we do. Jesus, the Savior, reigns. The God of truth and love. When he had purged our sins, he took his seat above. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules o'er earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. Rejoice in glorious hope. 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 Rejoice in glorious hope. Jesus the judge shall come and take his servants home to their eternal home. Jesus shall reign as our final song that Brian will sing for us, a different rendition. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax. That's a cool old phrase. <laughs> till moon shall wax and wane no more. To him shall endless praise be made. 
people and realms of every tongue dwell on his love with sweetest song. And infant voices shall proclaim their early blessings in his name. Rejoice. The Lord is king. And as you rejoice, anticipate the rest that will eventually come with the kingdom of God. You could go a lot of places with that. You could go to justice. You could go to the rest of peace. In the absence of hostility, you could go to the rest that comes from having all you need. You know where my rest thought goes to first? I think about the future kingdom, and I think about the rest the peace that I will have. Where there's no more inner conflict about following Jesus. Where there's no more struggle with sin. Where my heart is perfectly aligned to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That's rest, my friends. And it's coming, finally, with the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. You give us hope. You don't give us pie in the sky. You give us real hope. The kind of hope that's grounded in history. The kind of promises that are yes and amen in Christ. The kind of reality that says on the cross that you've conquered sin and death. And eventually, the struggle will vanish like a pitiful mirage. And the kingdom will come completely. So as we wait, Lord, may we wait humbly and patiently and give us the faith to see your kingdom at work in this world. And may we enter into it to embrace and experience the kingdom of God. In your name we pray. Amen.